What's up, guys? I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my regular coach, Curtis. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the Manny Diaz interview last week with Georgia head tennis co- men's tennis coach. Uh, it really was awesome getting the chance to speak with Coach Diaz. And like, even if you know nothing about Georgia tennis, I know a lot of you probably don't follow it that closely. But even if you don't know anything about it uh, or you've never taken a match, I really would encourage you to give a listen anyway. And not just because we did the interview, but just because Manny is truly, he is truly one of the all-time great Georgia Bulldogs. And it was just, for me at least, it was fascinating to hear him talk about his personal journey and kind of how he's been able to sustain such a high level of, of success for so long. So go back and check that out if you haven't already. I, uh, I hope it's worth your time. And uh, I know I said it at the tail end of the interview, but I just want to say it one more time, guys. Coach Diaz is as real and as classy as someone that successful could ever possibly possibly be. I mean, it's just unbelievable how good of a dude Manny Diaz is. I mean, I, I dealt directly with him. There was no intermediary. He just gave me his phone number and said, hey, call me, meet with me, and let's, let's get this done. So he uh, was more than gracious, just an awesome guy. So thank you, Coach Diaz. I know you're probably not listening, but thank you. We are definitely lucky to call uh, call you one of our own. But uh, today we are moving back to football talk as we recap the first week of spring ball now that it is officially in the books. But before we do, uh, I do want to quickly remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA or email us at podcast at gmail.com. Later this week, Curtis and I will be recording our March listener mailbag episode. It's hard to believe that the end of March is basically here. Uh, or it might be episodes, depending on how many questions we get, but we'll have at least one March Listener Mailbag episode. So send us any and all questions you have. Um, it could be about spring practice, recruiting, basketball even. Now the season's basically over. Baseball, if you dare. Uh, anything. So any questions you have, send them our way. If there's a, any topic you'd like to hear us discuss, just let us know at glory underscore UJ on Twitter or glorygpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all those other uh, podcasting platforms that the show is now up on that hopefully, we at least hope, is making everything a little easier for you guys to access to find um, our show specifically and go back and look at our archives there. All right, so that's out of the way. Curtis, spring practice is officially here, man. It's here. So I, I guess at least for the next couple of weeks, we actually have some legitimate football topics to cover, right? That's good stuff. I mean, it's kind of, yeah, gotta love the football stuff. So I mean, that's what, that's what I live for. I don't know, most of you guys out there probably do too. But Kurt, before we dig into the news coming out of spring practice this first, or I guess last week, just curiously, man, does spring practice really do anything for you? Does it get your blood pumping at all? Not really. I mean, really? a little bit. To me, I mean, it's a lot of, you know, you don't really see much, even when it comes to the spring game, you don't see much at all. It's a lot of just, you know, bland. Um, it's so vanilla. Like, yeah, it's very vanilla. I mean, it's nice to at least see the players out there and see some action, but it's football. It, I mean, yeah, that's that's the only way you can look at. It. I mean, it's like it's like um, you know, what is it? Uh, NFL preseason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there's definitely some similarities there. Like the pre, you're right. The preseason's kind of like okay, let's if you it's football. So if you like football, you want to watch it, but you're only watching with half an eye. You get you know half your attention on, half your attention somewhere else. I, I totally get that. Um, but for me, man, like I said, it's football. Like it's, I call this, you guys know, if you listen to the show, I call this stretch basically from January to, uh, fall camp in July, in July, early August. I call this the dead period where there's just, it's my life is basically on hold because football, Georgia football is my life. I mean, you got a few and you have a few little brief periods of like an oasis, like when you got signing day in February, you got spring practice here in March and April. But outside of that, it's just kind of, ugh. You know, you want to go hibernate for a couple months. 
But I'm with you, man. Like, you don't get a t- like. How much information do you really get? You know, it's, it's really. I mean, it's, it's just what the coaches want you to know. Right. It's all about them controlling the narrative and putting that stuff out there. Um, you don't know what to believe, what not to believe. So there is. I think there are some things that you can take from spring practice, but like, you're not going to win or lose a position battle in spring, right? Uh, I think you can definitely lose one, but I think. I think you can put yourself in position. Like, you want to put yourself in in striking position, you know? Cause yeah, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say you straight up win one, but I could say, I'd say you definitely lose one. You can definitely put yourself behind the eight ball. I think I think there's some truth to that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, I mean, you're right there, but there's not there's not going to be really any final decisions made in spring. You know? No, because there's, it's so little. I mean, there's so little substance to what they do. It's a more or less, you know. It's fundamental work. time. Yeah, it, it's fundamental work. It's time to just improve your game, focus on yourself individually. And you can make a move up the depth chart, and you can catch the coach's eyes so that when the fall camp does roll around uh, at the end of July, early August, like they might have you penciled in uh, in the first or second unit, defensively or offensively, wherever you end up playing. But like I said, like nothing's definitive. I mean, that's gonna all that's going to be decided in fall camp. You can put yourself in, in, in a good position, or you can put yourself in a bad position based on your performance during the spring. You can catch a coach's eye in a good way or a bad way. But it's it, there's nothing definitive about it. And uh, that so that itself, I mean, kind of takes some of the, the luster off of it to a degree. But but it's football, and as football starters we are this time of the year, uh, we're definitely going to do our part to cover it. So let's go ahead and transition into some of the specific topics of conversation coming out of spring practice during the first week. And let's start with some specific revelations about some changes to our offensive scheme. Now, in his opening press conference, Coach Smart made mention of how we hope to modify a few things offensively and you know try to better utilize our players. A lot of coach speak always said, we want to better utilize our players. Of course you do. That's how you win football games. Of course you want to use them better. But then later on, uh, tight end Jeb Blazevich in an interview uh, with a host of reporters, we got this audio from Bulldog Illustrators. I want to give them some credit there. But Jeb's shed a little more light on some of the changes that we can expect. And see, I'm going to try to actually insert some audio here, guys, for the first time, like a legit podcast radio type thing. So let's see if this is actually going to work. Alright, so obviously not the cleanest audio in the world. I don't know if that actually made it through translation there. But basically what he was saying specifically is that we are going to implement some more RPOs into our offensive scheme this year to where the point where you're not going to necessarily go to the line of scrimmage with one play and you run that play come hell or high water, you know, you're going to run that play. You're going to go to line of scrimmage with a couple of options of plays to run. Uh, and depending on what the defense does, how they react pre-snap and post-snap, you have a couple of options that you can run that puts your offense in the best position to be as successful as possible. So, Kurt, first off, this is always, always a time of year where you hear about how we're going to do things different this season. We're going to work to improve our shortcomings. Of course you are, because there's only one team that wins the title, and everyone else is trying to play catch-up. So, of course, you're trying to improve. But, Kurt, do you actually buy that we're going to see observable tweaks to our offensive scheme once September rolls around and we actually have real games? Um, I think you are going to see a little bit. I know it's only been a couple days, but if you watch any of the clips from the media, you notice that 
almost every rep the quarterback's taking, they're doing the fake of, you know, a read option uh, pass play that almost every rep is, you know, where they're faking the handoff and then looking, trying to get their eyes up quickly and throwing. Um, you know, while we said, you know, this is a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, motion type things and not really substance, you got to do pay attention to the fact that almost every rep is coming from that, you know, that motion to the, for the quarterbacks to where they're almost trying to, you know, get them super comfortable with that idea. I think, so I think, you know, if they wouldn't put such an emphasis on trying to get them comfortable, you know, with that quick fake handoff eyes up, it wasn't some attempt at trying to implement it, honestly. I agree with you. I think we're going to legitimately see some tweaks. I don't want to, we're not going to see an outright schematic revolution. Yeah, you want to see an extra overhaul, but you're going to see an inclusion of a new some t- new plays here and there. Yeah, I think if you're watching closely, if you understand football, if you understand X's and O's and to even some minor degree, I think there will be some things, particularly with, with run pass options. That's what RPO stands for if you guys aren't familiar with that. I'm sure you are, but just in case. Uh, you're you're going to see some of those things. How much we see of it, I, I think that still remains to be seen. Uh, I'm curious to see whether it's one of those things we start the season out uh, and then as we get into the the meat of our schedule, we kind of revert back to our comfort level or Cheney reverse back to his comfort level. I'm curious. I'm, I hope that's not the case. I think a lot of it depends on how well we implement it, how well it works early in the season. But I do think we're going to make a concerted effort to actually tweak some things. And that's the right word. I think tweak is the right word um, early in the season to kind of see how that's going to affect our offense. But the next part of this question, Kurt, is uh, – so that's I, I'm I'm with you that we both think that that's probably something we're going to see, but do you think incorporating more run pass options into our scheme will actually translate into a big offensive jump productivity wise next year under year two of Jim Cheney's leadership? Um, you know I don't know if it will tr- completely, but I think at the same time it at least makes you not as predictable as we were at times last year. And sometimes just the lack of, you know, it, even though, you know, we talk about how much teams scout now and all these things that just the any any time you can get any advantage helps. So if you're giving them one more thing to think about, that always is in the back of someone's mind, which at least helps you when you come down to it. I absolutely think it's going to help us next year. I mean, last year, you look at total offense, we finished 87th nationally with 384 yards per game. <laughs> Now, that was with a true freshman quarterback, a first-year scheme, a first-year – well, not first-year offensive coordinator, but a guy who's in his first year as our offensive coordinator. Terrible offensive line. A, 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 just a, an all-time – an all-timer offensive line in terms of not being good at what you do. And I'm not talking about all-time great. I'm talking about all-time terrible offensive line. I mean, God bless those guys. I hate to darn – I mean, you, you guys all saw. You know you know what I'm talking about. And you've got Nick Chubb still coming back from injury. Sony Michelle misses – a little bit of time early in the season, a wide receiver core was very much a work in progress. If it wasn't, if you, I mean, I guess you can, you can say McKenzie had a really good year for us. But outside of that, man, oof, I don't know. Uh, a lot of young guys playing. So, you know, if you factor all in, that's not – maybe th- those numbers aren't as bad as maybe what you saw sometimes with your own eyes. Sometimes watch that offense, it was like, oh, my God, just gouge my eyes out already. But the final numbers weren't as bad. But still, there's – Clearly, if you watch the team and you know anything about football, you understand there's a lot of room of improvement for offense. And for me, one of my frustrations was, now, although I do think that Cheney did try to to tweak some things throughout the season, go with more zone blocking schemes, more area blocking schemes, as opposed to those man blocking schemes, once you realize our offensive line just simply was ill-equipped to handle that type of scheme, uh, try to get to the edge a little bit more often, a little bit more frequency as the season went on, try to put Easton in the gun a little bit more. 
but we didn't see really any RPOs. And maybe that was a function of Eason being a young guy. I don't know how much I put in that. Though. I think RPOs make it easier for a young guy because it's a simple read. It's typically one read. Uh, and just too often last year, it seemed like we were, you know, we were, when we were running the ball, we had trouble against Missouri. It was like we were, did you ever get the feeling of kind of we were just running into a brick wall? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I think sometimes also with the RPO, you know, as quick as it does happen, sometimes I don't know if we truly trusted the offensive line with the freshman quarterback. But I, see, I think an RPO negates having a weak offensive line like that because I mean, you're you taken out of their have, hands. If you have true run stuffers, if they're coming up to stop the run, then you're going to have, I mean, that's. It, I think it just came down to, I think it was a little bit too, they thought that he wasn't ready. That would have been a little bit too much. Yeah, I just don't think they trusted Eason. And I, yeah, I, I honestly well, don't think. You know, I, don't, I honestly don't know who they truly trusted on the offense last year. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really good point, too. I, and I also think, I don't know if Cheney, you know, we, there's been a lot of talk this offseason about how our offensive staff has gone around to different coaching staffs around the country, NFL, college staffs, and tried to learn some new things. I honestly just don't think that he was all that familiar with RPOs in general. I don't think it's something. Yeah, you don't know if he was comfortable. Right. Yeah. So it might be an Easton comfortable level. It might be a, a Cheney comfortable level himself. Like he just didn't like he understood the concepts perhaps, but just didn't really feel comfortable because he never really used it before. So now he's got time to kind of. It probably was not part of our plan coming into the season, and that's a really hard thing to implement as you're already in the midst of the season. So now when you have time to step back from thousand foot view and look at it and say, okay, here's some things that we can do to make this offense a little more productive, make it uh, a little more difficult to defend and put more stress on the defense. I think you have a time to implement that. Now Now you have time to work on the handoffs, you, as you were talking about, uh, with, the, with the read option looks. So I do think it's going to help us dramatically. And guys, there's, look, when you, when you say RPO, there are so many different variations of run pass options. You know, it really depends on do you have a mobile quarterback, do you have a guy that's a true dual threat, or do you have a guy that's a pocket passer. You can run RPOs with a pocket passer. I think a lot of times people feel like RPOs, this is a misconception, that's only a it's only a scheme that you can run with a dual threat guy. Because you can go back to like the, the Bama kick six game, right? When Auburn beat them. You before the kick six, you know, Nick Marshall getting back in the game, he pulled out one of the first RPOs that you really have seen in modern football, where he, he gets the ball on the edge basically, you have a triple read there, and you got the guy running a bubble screen on the outside, and so you put that nickel back in classic conflict, which is what you're always trying to put the defenders in. Either he goes with that bubble screen guy, or Nick Marshall cuts it up. If but if he stays with Nick Marshall, you throw to the bubble guy, and he's got room to spare. So you saw it there, and you also saw saw it with uh, Arizona, uh, where the Rich Rod he was one of the, the pioneers of the of the RPO, the modern run pass option. But you also can see it with with pro-style pocket pass as well. Grayson Lambert. Remember old Grayson? Remember that South Carolina game two years ago? We ran a lot of RPOs. That's all we ran all night long. When he set the NCAA completion percentage record, the record for completion percentage, 96% completion percentage. All we did all night long was run a version of run-pass option. We're basically what we did, and this is, this is as simple as it can be, but so effective. You just You identify a target. On the defense. In our case, most of the night, that night against South Carolina, we were identifying one of the outside linebackers. And you he's the guy that you're reading. We would run the zone read look where we're holding the ball out for the running back, but the quarterback also has the ability to pull the ball and then throw it to the receiver there. So what you're doing is you the quarterback, Lambert, was reading that linebacker all night long. If the linebacker crashed towards the line of scrimmage to take away the run, then he pulled the ball and threw it right behind the linebacker's head, right there, a quick slant, all night long destroyed him. Well, when the linebacker gets 
smart to what we're doing, he decides, okay, well, you know, when I see that look again, I'm not going to attack the line of scrimmage. I'm going to stay in my drop. I'm going to sit here. And I'm going to drop under the slant. Well, if you do that, that's one extra defender that you're taking out of the equation in the running game. So that's one less guy to block in the running game. So now you can gash them with a the run. We did that all night long. And it wasn't always a linebacker, and it wasn't always a slant route, though it often was in that particular game. Really, it depended on what defensive formation South Carolina came out in that night. In base sets, we were reading their outside linebacker in most cases. In nickel sets, we were typically reading their nickelback. As an offense, it doesn't really matter. You can change who it is that you're reading on the defense. But the fact remains that something as simple as a one-man read, whether it's a nickelback, whether it's a linebacker, whoever, whoever it is that you identify, who you target on that defense— with an RPO, you can absolutely shred defenses, as evidenced by that South Carolina game two years ago, where we put up 52 points. And Grayson freaking Lambert finished night 24 of 25 with a 96% completion percentage and 330 yards passing. I mean, Grayson freaking Lambert did that. He literally set an NCAA record for completion percentage by running RPOs play after play after play. But that's not even where it stops. What really makes RPO so beautiful is that it not only benefits your passing game, which it clearly does, but your running game as well. Because you're always blocking your running play when you run RPO. That's your base blocking scheme. You're always blocking your running play. You're assuming it's going to be a run play. And that's why defensive gurus like Nick Saban, they go crazy, and Kirby Smart too, about the lineman downfield aspect of this. Because defenders at the college level, are typically, there's always exceptions, but they're typically reading linemen when they're trying to determine if it's going to be a pass or a run. And when you have linemen running downfield showing run action, it triggers run reads on the part of individual defenders who then have a pass thrown right over their head as they attack the line of scrimmage based off that run read. But, you know, I mean, defenders are smart. If they get wise to that, they're going to stay a second longer in pass coverage to try to take away that passing option. And then when they do that, it opens up natural running lanes and it removes a defender from the box without having to actually dedicate a lineman to blocking that particular defender. And what that does is, in effect, it gives the offense the numerical advantage in the run game. Think about how much that would have helped us last year. Think about all those stacked boxes we saw last year that made it almost impossible for us to find any kind of consistent success running the football. Well, if you add RPOs to the equation, you are going to remove defenders from the box without having to worry about actually physically blocking them with one of your linemen, giving you that numerical advantage. So it's going to clean out the box for us and give Chubb, give Michelle plenty of more room to maneuver. I mean, think about this. In that same South Carolina game where Grace Lamb was carving them up through the air in 2015, Nick Chubb also ran for a buck 60 and 7.6 yards a pop. So we were doing it through the air and we were doing it on the ground. Yes, that South Carolina team was terrible. That defense was bad. But we didn't do that the rest of the year because we basically went away from running those RPOs for whatever reason. We'd intersperse them here and there, but we were not dedicated to it like we were on that particular night. So the bottom line is, is if you scheme it up correctly and you protect the quarterback and the quarterback makes the right read, when you're running RPOs, the offense, it, you simply can't be wrong if you design it right. You What you do is you put individual defenders in conflict with, where no matter what choice they make, they are wrong. And you simply disembowel a defense. I mean, just look at Baylor, that prolific offense they've been running for the past five to six years. 
under Art Bryles. Well, he's gone now, but under Art Bryles there at Baylor, that offense was chock full of RPOs. It's all about spreading the de- defenses out, using every inch of the field, and then putting individual defenders in a situation where they're in conflict. Where they ha- where they're out on an island, and you target them, and whatever choice they make, you counter that. And they basically, they largely did all that at Baylor, those prolific offenses, without true dual-threat guys outside of RG3, kind of started that whole thing for them. But after that, they didn't really have true dual-threat guys. They had guys that were functionally mobile, but not dual-threat guys. So yes, as you can tell, I am very excited about the prospect of us incorporating more RPOs into our offense this coming season. All right, so let's go ahead and move on here. Uh Speaking of offensive changes, the scheme is not the only area where we might expect to see some changes. As there, at least right now, there appears to be a potential personnel change with former five-star recruit Miko Harbin finally getting some work on the offensive side of the ball. He essentially got no work offensively last year as a true freshman, He's focusing on corner. So here is. Kirby Smart. I'm going to try to insert a little more audio. We'll see if it works this time. I don't know. Here's Kirby Smart uh, in his opening press conference, again, courtesy of Bulldog Illustrated, about utilizing Miko on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, really good questions. Miko, we have a plan for. We want to get some offensive snaps and be able to expose him to some of the concepts, but it won't be early in spring. Uh, we're committed to, to continue to develop him as a corner. All right, and now here is wide receiver Javon Wims adding to the Mecole to offense, offense smoke later on the week with maybe a little bit more specific information. All right, Curtis. So another two-part question here. There's a little bit of a mixed message there on Miko. First, uh, so the first question I have for you here is when September 2nd rolls around, simply, where is Miko Hardman playing? Is he playing offense, defense, or both? I, I honestly think he's playing both. I think it's going to be a mixture, kind of like what you saw Brandon Boyd can do at times his senior year. Um, I think that's how they're going to start off with. I don't think they're going to fully put him at one position. This is... It's impossible to know because we're not inside the coaches' heads there. We're not inside the facility watching what's going on. But based on both those comments, I think Kirby made it pretty clear. Right now, the only reason Mecole is not full-time offense is depth concerns at the cornerback position. Because think about who do we have true cornerbacks right now. We have the starters and or the presumed starters in Malcolm Parrish and DeAndre Baker. Then you have Tyreek McGee, who was a, who was a guy that was a true freshman with Mecole last year at corner, who we heard some positive things about coming out of. Uh, of last season, and you got Miko. Who else do we really have besides those four right now? Not many people, honestly. I mean, right now, we're basically having to work Richard LeCount and D'Angelo Gibbs as corners right now. They're not really getting much safety work because we just have no depth. We've lost too many guys. You lost Jawan Briscoe. You lose some of those guys. You lose Reggie Wilkerson. There's just no depth. So I think right now, if we have to at least have him on defense. I'd say not part-time. He's probably playing more defense than his offense right now, so it's more than part-time. But we have to have him over there the majority of the time. But 
you heard, Kirby keep kind of read between the lines of the last part of what Kirby had to say is essentially that once the young guys, we, we signed five true corners last year or in the 2017 class, once they get on campus, if they can respond well to the coaching, they can maybe provide us some depth. Maybe we can move Miko more so the offensive side of the ball. I think you're probably right. It's, it's, it's probably fair to say right now, expect him to play a little bit of both. But I think as the season wears on, I really do think we're going to see him a lot more on offense than we are defensively. I really yeah, do. Like you said, I think it really depends on these young guys, all the, all the ones we signed people like Amir Speed, and then to see if they can actually come in and do something. Yeah, I mean, think about all the guys we signed this year. So you got Amir Speed, who has a guy I'm really high on. Of course, you got William Poole. Uh, you've got Eric Stokes. you got Latavius Brini. I think I'm missing somebody. Is it not that leave anybody out? Probably, yeah. Brini, Stokes, Speed. We'll go with that. I think that's four. Maybe four, all right? Uh, so we've, we've got plenty of guys coming in, but we just got to see how they how they pan out. All right, so that's part one of the question. The next part of the question, so that's what we think he's going to be doing. But a little bit different here, what do you think his role should be on the team? Where does he best fit on this team? Um, You know, I, it's hard for me to truly say because we saw what he could do with the ball in his hands in high school, but I would like to see a little bit of, you know, have something to see for both sides because it's hard to see how his game translates when we haven't seen enough to really be a true judge to see if he's that explosive offensively, which I think he is. Oh, I think there's no doubt that he's that. But I mean, no doubt, but I would like to, you know, have something to judge on. I think he, I, th- I just think he's a playmaker no matter what, that he's just one of these guys that's going to make an impact wherever you put him on the field. Well, you used the right word there in playmaker. I mean, for me, Miko Hardman, watching him in high school, he, he went to high school in Oberton, not too far from Athens where I am, so I got to watch him play a little bit and saw him some camps. Dude, he with he's an absolute natural with the ball in his hands. He is the definition of a playmaker with the ball in his hands. Now, I'm not saying he can't be a, a good cornerback down the line, but he's so far away from that. I don't think people understand how raw he was as a corner coming into high school. Like he he primarily played whether it was quarterback, running back, receiver with, with the ball in his hands in high school. He played a little bit of corner, but very little. Now, I think part of the reason that he wanted to play corner in college was that he knows long-term with his size that he's probably got a better chance long-term NFL-wise to play the cornerback position. Because there's a lot of guys with his size, his speed, his quickness, his agility that can make it to the NFL. There's not as many guys that can be legitimate shutdown corners with that kind of athleticism. But the fact is he has so far to go to be a true shutdown corner. Now, he can be a, a competent corner for us, which is good, and you need those guys, but he can be a flat-out weapon for us offensively in my opinion he's Isaiah McKenzie on steroids like that's what I mean I know we haven't seen him in college and it's hard to compare that because McKenzie did it at the college level but I'm just telling you from what I've seen this guy he is a just incredible weapon for us if we use him right so I think he can be a downright scary weapon offensively for us but I think but on the other side he could be a competent defender and maybe by the time he becomes a junior or senior, he could be a really good corner. But do you really want to wait that long to, be, to get that kind of production out of him when he could be a, a flat-out killer offensively right now? Like right now, he might end up – he could be one of our top playmakers offensively, especially yeah, the wide receiver position. I, I definitely think that becomes a real question. Yeah, I mean, do like if you want to, if you want to have patience – and wait till you know down the road a little bit longer. So I don't. He's not going to be ready this year to to come in and be a big time shutdown type corner, the kind of guy we need to compete for titles in the SEC. He's not going to be that yet. He can provide some depth. Like I said, he can be competent, but he's not going to be a star at cornerback right now. But he flat out can be a star right now as a receiver if you use him offensively. 
So I don't know, and it's a tough question because Miko. I mean, it's, it, he's in a tough spot. I mean, he wants to do what's best for his future long term. He also wants to play right now. I, I get so tired of it, and I know we're not the only program that does it. But I've, we've we've wasted so many five star talents, man. Just pushing, pulling them back and forth between position from one position to another. And we almost did it with Malcolm Mitchell. Remember all that debate about what you know? He, man, he could be a a stud corner. Well, we we tried him there. You know that I remember. I remember vividly the first game that uh, that we played in Missouri. The first time we played in Columbia, Missouri, he played corner in that game. We had some depth issues with some suspensions. He played corner in that game. I, dang guy didn't stick there because clearly he's playing NF. He's playing wide receiver in the NFL right now. So when it comes to Miko, I think he can do a good job. He's just that kind of an athlete wherever you play him. But I think he's clearly more ready to play right now offensively, and I think he's a sure thing offensively as a DB. I think I really think he could do it. But that's far from a sure thing. So I think clearly, uh, if if we if our depth is okay at, at corner, if we feel okay in the summer that the that the depth is solid there with some of the guys we're bringing in, I think it would be in our best interest to put Miko at receiver. I mean, for a team that struggled to make plays last year outside of Isaiah McKenzie, we need all the help we can get there. We really do, and I think Miko will absolutely help immediately. Uh, all right, Curtis. I'm going to uh, move on to the next topic here. And the next big piece of news, at least I'm going to classify it as big news, is the situation at left tackle. Uh, you and I both expect us to open the spring with senior Isaiah Wynn at left tackle. And that certainly appears to be the case. He is a guy that has spent time at guard, center, and left tackle in the past, most of the 2015, at least the second half of the 2015 season. He spent left tackle and played, I think, pretty well there. But uh, with what we returned and with the big offensive line class we just signed, that's not set to enroll until the summer outside of Juco DeMarcus Hayes, who's already on campus. It's pretty clear that when um, he's the best option for the position during the spring, would, and I think the prevailing thought was that Hayes would eventually slide in that left tackle role, right? I think we both kind of were thinking that eventually down the road, especially when mega recruit Isaiah Wilson enters the pitcher in fall camp, when uh, we would when he would at least hopefully be ready to assume that right tackle role, which would then allow us to slide win back in the left guard spot that he occupied all of last year. But... But Wynn doesn't seem to give a damn what the prevailing view is because he has his own ideas about how the left tackle situation is going to play out, which he explains right here. Let me get this up. What's your understanding of it's, Are you the left tackle or could change next week? Could it change? Oh, no, I'm the left tackle. You're the left tackle? Yes, sir. For like... Yes, we fully expect against App State you're going to line up. Yes, sir. Is there any, if they said that, is there any question about it? Or? Uh, I mean, you have to ask Coach Pittman on that, but yeah, on the left tackle right now. It sounds like you're pretty happy with that. Well, do you want to, I mean, your versatility gets topped up as a strong point, but would you be better off yeah. playing one spot and staying there? Yes, sir. Why? You know, I mean, I think people understand why the why is that? Just because I can kind of focus more. I can uh, worry about one position and not having to play two or three. But like I always say, I mean, I enjoy being able to move around on the offensive line. All right, so Curtis, I'm curious to hear your take on this. Wynn is adamant about being – oh, sorry about that, guys. He's adamant about being the guy at left tackle. But do you see him as the long-term answer at the left tackle position in 2017? I honestly don't. I, and, you know, I, well, I think he's serviceable. I think he could be a left tackle. The one thing is, though, is with all these new people coming in, say Isaiah Wynn comes in and kills it at right tackle. Thinks, Isaiah Wilson? I, yeah, I mean, Isaiah Wilson. Is this? you got to think of the overall line where 
Wynn can play both positions. He might be want to play tackle and stuff, but if you have guys better at other positions to where you can move the offensive line and still get the productivity, where, say, you, you – see, it's one of those where you can't keep certain guys off the field, but you can't move – like, say, Wilson, Hayes, and Wynn are all good. Well, Wynn's the type of guy that's got experience playing guard that can move inside – where Hayes and Wilson themselves, respectively, don't have that experience. Yeah, and Hayes, or Wilson's a guy that I don't think is going to be ready to play left tackle. So you're right. I think it's all about I getting the right combination. You don't want to start off at guard either because that then stunts his growth. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be, I think he's going to be a right tackle all the way. I mean, I could be wrong there, but I think he will be. But you're right in saying that it's, it's about finding the best combination. You want to find the five best guys and then mix and match them in a way that best fits their skill sets and, and it serves to the, to the benefit of the offensive line. I, however, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I think right now, honestly, I think until I see it from Hayes, I think Wynn is our best option on left tackle because we know what we have there. I mean, think back to two years ago, the second half of the 2015 season. Wouldn't you say he was at least serviceable there at that spot? Yeah, I would. I mean, no. And that was at 280, 285 pounds. Now he's up to 305? Well, see, no, I'm not sitting here saying that he's not. I, I mean, last year he was probably one of our best left tackles, but we didn't have a left guard that could play that position. Which I think is and – I, I, and I and – I, and I, I know we've gone over this before. I just don't buy. I, I, I know I'm a guy. So I'm a big defender of coaches because they are experts in their field. Just like you know, a, a teacher doesn't know what's in a coach's mind. They don't know as much about co- coaching because they're not experts in that. But a coach doesn't know as much as a teacher does about teaching. So they're not experts in that. Same thing for an accountant, so on and so forth. Everybody's their expert in their own field. So these coaches know a lot more than this. But I also don't think that means that they're above reproach. I mean, they they make mistakes, and I just don't understand. Like saying that we didn't have a better person to put left guard. Why could we I mean, have not slid Gailiard over? You don't understand, but look at the TCU game. We were not running very well, even with a Hurt Catalina, when we tried to have Sims and Gilliard both at guard. I just, I guess my thing, is, I, I, I know I keep going back to this, and I'm probably a broken record. And I just don't know why we never consider moving Greg Pike back inside. That's his natural position where he played most of his career, and I think clearly he performed better. I don't know why we could have moved him back inside, had to win at left tackle, and put Catalina at right at right tackle. I. I don't know. That's just something that I, all season long. I, mean, I don't know. You'll probably have to ask the coaches. That yeah, was... I know. So I know that's a beating a dead horse. I'll get off that. But do you really think he's the guy that can do that? Handle that position? Who? When? Because I, I kind of do. I mean, you don't seem to. What, left tackle? Yeah. No, my argument isn't that – it's not that he can't handle it, but I, he but he can also handle guard to where Wilson and Hayes are not fit. Wilson's not going to be big enough. To, see, he's got more of a longer body where um, Wynn is a little bit more compact and has the experience at guard in this system. So if anyone's going to have – if we were trying to get our best lineup out there and he's the guy that has the experience at guard – and that we have a better feeling that can do guard over trying to move Wilson or Hayes inside, then he's going to be the one to move inside. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right there. I, I think it depends on who is ready to play guard. If we have some guys that can step up and play guard, if we have Solomon Kinley who steps up, if Ben Cleveland makes a step, if Notori Johnson or Justin Schaefer are ready to come in as true freshmen, which I'm not going to count on. You can't count on a true freshman you're ready to play. But it happens. you got Jonah Williams at Alabama, but you can't count on that happening. But well, if I mean, we have a couple I, guys I step up. Possibly being ready. I get them possibly being ready to go, but I think the biggest thing is you could potentially have, I mean, not counting Gilliard because he's going to hold down that center position because Wynn can't play it. He's, yeah, he yeah that's been well right. documented. Yeah, he can't do it. Well, so you're, you're potentially looking at your three best offensive linemen being potentially, I'm saying potentially, but you're potentially looking at Wynn, Hayes, and Wilson being your three best offensive linemen. You can't have one of your three 
not in there. So if you're trying to get all three in there, it doesn't matter if the two other guards are possibly trying to be in there. Trying, even if they play well, your three best linemen are more than likely going to be Hayes, Wynn, and Wilson. So you can't keep them all off the field. Well, I mean, I get the argument with Isaiah Will. I agree with you. I get the argument with Isaiah Wilson because he is a mega recruit. If you've seen this guy, I mean, he looks like he is he's ready to play right now. And we'll see. But I think there's a fair chance he will be. But what's giving you so much confidence in Demarcus Hayes? The Juco I mean, transfer. It's, it's my lack of confidence in everything else that we have. But, okay, so you think, okay, let me just ask you this. You think we would be better off, because neither one of us have really seen Hayes play, so it's hard for us to speak on this, but we'll just, I guess we've got to kind of speak on it theoretically and in, in, in the abstract. But let's say, let me give you two scenarios. Would you feel more comfortable with having DeMarcus Hayes at left tackle and sliding Isaiah Wynn back in to left guard, or would you be more comfortable? Because you know you don't know what you have in Isaiah or in Demarcus Hayes. You think we think we hope we know, but we don't know. But or would you feel more comfortable with having Isaiah win at left tackle, a guy that you you've seen him play the position for half of the season, so you kind of know what you've got there, and then maybe having a Dyshawn Sims or a Ben Cleveland or maybe even a Pat Allen, somebody like that, filling in that left guard spot. Which one are you more comfortable with? Definitely number one because I mean. While Cleveland may be getting better, I still think he has he has still some more work to do. I don't I don't know how ready he's truly going to be, and I have zero confidence in Sims or Pat Allen. Pat Allen's been on campus and has yet to make any movement, any headway. Um, and Sims, once again, I have zero confidence. So I have more confidence, especially if the coaches feel that Hayes is ready to go. That's how I have more confidence in Wills or Win going in there because he has experience. But yeah, I think it comes back to again. Do, are the coaches going to feel like Hayes is ready? Because what makes you think that I mean, Hayes is going to be... I mean, it all comes down to Hayes. If he's ready, then they move him. If he's not, then they probably keep him at a different position. Yeah. It really comes down to his... You know, it's hard Just for us to Maybe, say. I, I think you're right. It comes down to development. But my, I guess my, my argument would be is, how do we know that Hayes is any more ready than Ben Cleveland is? Or is any more ready than Pat Allen is? And those guys have sure they haven't made they haven't cracked the lineup yet either. But how do we know that Demarcus Hayes is going to be that guy? Just is it just because I think it, you I assume think it really comes down to practice and game time situations, and also helps the fact that he has true, even though it's not SEC, it's Juco. He still, yeah, he still has true experience in you know getting the craft of that left tackle position down. I mean, he's had more college level coaching, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have Ben Cleveland who should have been on the offensive line, but as most high schools do, they screw kids over and play him where they. Need him. Need him. So he was stuck on defensive tackle instead of, you know, getting his craft better on the offensive line. Yeah, this is—it's really hard to speak on this. It is kind of the abstract because we just there's so much that we don't know. There's nothing definitive here. We just know that Isaiah Wynn has started at left tackle, and he claims adamantly that's where he's going to going to stay. And if that is the if that does happen to be the case, I'm curious to see what that does for the rest of the offensive line. Well, is see, Isaiah, right, I'll this. I'm comfortable with him at left tackle. I, I am I'm too. Not saying uncomfortable. I think it's just he's the most versatile offensive lineman right now. I think the problem with him, always the problem. I mean, he's six two and he was playing at two eighty, two eighty five. But he always had the four. That was my argument last year. Because what killed us last year offensively in, in the past in, in pass protection was, and there's a lot of things that hurt us. But we couldn't stop a speed rusher to save our lives, whether it was Pike or Catalina. So I, I always thought that sliding win out there would at least alleviate that problem to, to a fairly significant degree because he has the footwork, athleticism, and quickness to handle those speakers. He showed that in the see, last half see, of 2015. Wynn does, while Wynn does have that good footwork and everything, he also has another case of alligator arms himself. <sighs> Not as bad yeah. as Pike last year, but I mean, you're right. But I'm saying he also has very short arms too. He doesn't have the ideal length. There's no doubt. He, no way and, you need to say he I has mean, ideal I, length. Yeah, I get it. He's one of these that can handle you know, the quick guys. Well, teams will know that. So then, 
what is instead of putting someone quicker over him, then they could counter with someone that's just better at bull rushing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's no doubt. Time, see, it, it's just one of those where I mean, hopefully now that he's put on more weight, he's better. But there were plenty of times where we were doing two step drops, and he was in Eason's lap. In, he's sitting in Eason's lap. I mean, over and over. I mean, multiple times a game. I mean, him, him, Galliard, definitely Cablano. I mean, it happened over and over again. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I've always said he was lighting up, and that's why I didn't like him at guard either. I, that's why I didn't understand him playing guard. I know he, t- he technically sound. He is, he is that. But he was lighting the britches and to run the kind of scheme that we wanted to run, especially early in the season with the man blocking schemes. There's no way he was gonna. Be, you could expect him to do that. He was more. If you're gonna play him inside, you've got to run. You got to run area blocking schemes, run the zone stuff where he can get out in space and move a little bit and use angles to block, not using sheer brute force because he didn't have it. Um, so I just thought he was a better fit at tackle because at least he had athleticism and that was that could alleviate some of the speed rush issues that we were facing. Um, but now that, and I'm telling you, he is legitimately 305 pounds. I saw him on campus about three weeks, three weeks ago. I was running by the stadium. He happened to be there with his girlfriend and his nice souped up charger, which I guess that's a story for another day. Um, but, uh, and I, I, I ran right by him and looked straight, looked him up and down, man. Kind of probably in a creepy way. Uh, not like that though. Uh, but he's legitimately 300 plus pounds. He's way bigger than he's been in the past. I mean, significantly bigger. So that there is absolute truth. That's not just height. And the dude has put on some, he's put on some weight. It's good weight too. I mean, he looks good. So I think that's going to help. I think, I don't think he's going to lose. We'll see, but I don't think he's going to lose too much athleticism with that 20, 25 plus pounds there. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I just thought that was an interesting comment coming from Wynn. I mean, he's very adamant that he is the guy at left tackle when, I don't really think the prevailing thought was that he really I mean, was an option. I think man. at the same time, you want a guy to show confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I loved it. I loved it. I was like, hell yeah, man. Come on. Show us what you got, dude. And hopefully he's got it. Because I mean, we need an answer there. And, and if he's the answer, awesome. Awesome. I just want an answer there. That's all I want. Somebody to be an answer. All right. Um, the other news that I did find interesting was... Uh, where did I... I got lost here. Okay. Something on the defense side of the ball. Move the defense side of the ball real quick here. So, with basically ten starters returning to an already top twenty defense, there was not as much news coming out of the first week of practice on the defensive side of the ball. But there were a few interesting items that I took note of. And one thing that really caught my eye was the fact that prized freshman DB D'Angelo Gibbs, as an early enrollee, is already working with the first unit at the star position. So in our nickel package, which we were in about eighty percent of the time last year. So he's basically a starter. And he was really at that position seemingly from the get-go. So, Kerr, obviously with Mo Smith moving on after his graduate transfer year, Star is the one spot on the defense right now that we do not have an incumbent starter returning. But were you at all surprised by the fact that Gibbs spent basically the first week of practice working as the starter in that Star role? Um, not completely. While I think, uh, you know, LeCount is probably more polished overall at that position, it comes down to that sometimes that Gibbs is honestly superior to almost a lot of players on this team athletically. And size-wise. He's just, right now, he's bigger than LeCount. Yeah, he's one of these guys that, you know, as much as we time we think about it, while, you know, Maurice Smith did a lot in the passing, he did just as much coming up, making plays at the line of scrimmage, stripping people. Absolutely. And, you're and like, you're ba- the star, in my, the way I look at the star, is almost like a space backer. Like, you really are. You're, 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 all, you're it's part like, linebacker. Like, oh, this is Jack guy. Yeah, I mean, you. Yeah, you're a hybrid guy. Now you're probably more DB than you are linebacker, but you're gonna have to mix it up in the running game. You've got to be able to take on blocks. You've got to be able to bring ball carriers down. And right now, I think Richard LeCount's gonna be an outstanding player because I love the guy. But to hold up in the SEC in the trenches, not necessarily in the trenches, but 
against blockers coming at you, pulling guards, you're going to have to have a guy with a little more size. And Gibbs right now is just bigger. That's It's as simple as that. He's just a bigger guy right now. And maybe that changes. I don't know. Um, he's, he's got more of a frame to add weight on anyway. So uh, nothing against LeCount. I wasn't all that surprised. Because if you look at it, who else are we going to put there? Who are our options? We talk about the lack of depth at cornerback right now. I mean, you have Miko Harbin, maybe. You have Tyreek McGee. But both those guys are somewhat undersized. I don't trust them in that star role necessarily. In coverage, I do. But not in the running part of that and run support. Do you trust them in that spot? No. I, I don't really either. So obviously there is a long way to go before September 2nd rolls around. But let me ask you this about Gibbs. Would you say, because we got some guys coming on campus here uh, in the summer, but would you say there is a better chance that Gibbs holds on to that starting star spot by the time the season rolls around, or is there a better chance someone else takes it from him? I think he has a better chance of holding it than someone coming in and taking yeah. it. Who's it going to be? That's my question. Who is it going to be if it's not him? I mean, I don't know. We, it's, I, think, I think that's the right answer, because I guess you can maybe say Tyreek McGee, but I, I don't know if I love his size there. Maybe he's got a lot of fight in him. I don't know. I mean, I know Malcolm Parrish was getting some looks in, inside at the star the first week, and I I, lo- I think he's probably the best pure tackler on our team, but he's just so small. I don't see him as a long-term answer there. Maybe LeCount can come in and, and make a push there. Maybe you move a guy like Aaron Davis down. No, he can't tackle. Yeah, I agree. That's what I'm saying. I, 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 but, I mean, I, I, I can see an argument say we move Aaron Davis down there and you can put Gibbs or LeCount at safety. I don't know. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. There's a better chance he holds on to that spot than there is someone comes in and takes it from him. Uh, and last question here, and then we'll get out of here for you guys. Uh, the other news that I found interesting was kind of related. It was not only Gibbs, but the fact that Gibbs and also fellow early enrollee Richard LeCount were both working heavily at corner slash star and not so much at safety where they both played last year in high school. And, and really that's where LeCount played almost his entire high school career with Gibbs moving into that role as a senior after playing corner uh, most of his uh, high school career before that. So last question here, man, is is that more so a function of current depth issues or do you expect Gibson LeCount to stay at corner long-term? Um, definitely depth. Yeah, I, I think I mean, I think Gibson LeCount can both play corner. Don't get me wrong. I think they can function there. I think they can be competent there. But I think they can be stars at either star, well, I guess, yeah, star or safety. So I think right now, like, like we said earlier in the show, we kind of recount this four, maybe five guys that we have right now at corner. That's just not enough depth. So I think right now that's why they're playing there. And I think as we get some more bodies in here to play the cornerback position, we'll see them move to the more natural safety position and also stick in there in the competition to play our star. So uh, that's it for us today, guys. We definitely appreciate you listening to the show here. Check back with us later this week. We will have uh, the March edition of the Listener Mailbag. We're also going to have another interview uh, this time not with Mandy Diaz, but we all well, we want to be equal opportunity employers here, and we're going to give uh, some time to Jeff Wallace, the women's head tennis coach for the Georgia Bulldogs, who have been killing the guys. Uh, about a week and a half ago, we went to Gainesville and ended their 163 game home match winning streak. So right now the girls are rolling. So we'll have an interview with Coach Wallace. So check back with us then uh, before our listener mailbag show. Please make sure you're sending any questions. We've already got a ton of great questions, but hey, the more the merrier. Depending on how many questions we can have more than one show. So check us out at GloryUJ, GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, go dogs.